Welcome to the Steadfast Carlsbad podcast. This morning's message was taken out of our 10 a.m. service. Let's jump right in, and we hope you're encouraged. Thanks for tuning in. So, um, obviously, the context, Hebrews, we're, we're way into this. This has been a long book, especially because it's so rich and so thick. Uh, but the context is a persecuted church who has uh, been tempted to walk away from the faith and go back to something that no longer exists. So it's persecution, struggle, that's making them consider going back. And so the author of Hebrews is saying, there's nothing to go back to. All that was before, all the Old Testament, Old Covenant was pointing towards the Messiah. You have the Messiah. There's nothing to go back to. And so he was showing that even in the Old Testament figures, it was all done by faith. And so we went through all these different characters and then these unnamed that were involved in the Hall of Faith. And to show that every, all the righteousness that, invo- that was involved in the Old Testament was by faith, trusting in God, watching him provide when there seemed like there was no way, believing even when it was audacious and out of control, like no makes no sense. So that's the context. Because we need that context because especially of these verses. So verse one, therefore, with that in mind, especially the Hall of Faith, therefore, we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Therefore, considering these Old Testament examples of faith that were offered up in chapter 11, we see many before us. We see the witness of their lives. So we have these witnesses that their lives are a witness they're, they're, they're recorded for us as a witness, right? Their lives of faith still speak thousands of years later that we can look back on and, and see that this has lasting value. This how it kind of helps us to understand um, lives that are full of chaff and lives that are full of something real. The, the dross, the, the, the gold that's been purified remains. The chaff, the things that can be burned away, they're gone. So all of their lives have been, whatever it was, all the ups and the downs, what has been purified to what is left is these moments of faith that have carried on the mission of God. And it was, it was just simply believing what he said, trusting him when it made no sense, and being loyal to him. So we see now that there's, Therefore, we also, since we understand, there's a so, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. If you think about a cloud of people, it's not usually a term we would use. Right? Like, look at the cloud of people. You're like, did you mean to say crowd of people? <laughs> but the idea of cloud is this idea of looking from above to earth. But when you think of a cloud of people, do you think of a few people or a lot? It's a lot much more than is named here. So if you think, okay, a cloud of people, now it's a so great a cloud. So this is the multitudes. So think about this, right? There's all these that were mentioned, uh, you know, that we went through kind of one by one until the last chapter. And then there's these um, more, you know, whoever these people are, those who have been suffered, the martyrs. I think this is so great a cloud of witnesses Old Testament, uh, the apostles, disciples, New Testament, the church throughout the ages, 
those who have given their lives to follow Jesus, so great a cloud of witnesses, their lives are the witness. What they do is their, their lives are our witness to us that we are joining in on something much, much bigger than what we have right here, right now, where we are. The crowd is behind us. I like thinking about that. You guys know um, who's a Seahawks fan? I know of one right there, okay. What do they say about the Seahawks? What's the crowd called? Does anyone know? The 12th man, right? They call the crowd the 12th man. Why? Because you're so loud and obnoxious. No, I'm just kidding. 49ers fan, so you know. Um, well, we're winning a lot. Anyway, um, uh, so you get the idea, right, of, of the crowd motivates. That's why there's something called home field advantage. Didn't work for my Dodgers yesterday. But home field advantage is there's, there's something about a group of people being behind you that are with you, that are cheering you on, especially if they've been in it as well. That helps to motivate. So the crowd's behind us. So therefore, we also, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, how do we respond to this now? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run the race with endurance, the race that's set before us. We are called to run our leg of the race. So a lot of people think this is Paul writing this because of the athletic stuff. Because Paul seems to like, like sports. He's always talking about it. You can always tell the guy, people who write stuff and the, or, like, or speak, they're like, oh yeah, you like this, and so you talk about it. Sorry, it's just you know, the way it goes. But it's also possible that someone besides Paul likes sports too. And it's such a good analogy. So we have this race that's set before us. We're called to run our leg of the race. Think of it as a relay. Like where it's one, one person takes it and they take it to the next generation and next, next, next. And if you really have a good relay team, you're gonna have all good runners and they're all gonna have their strengths and you're gonna have certain people set up in the order that you want them to be. On a baseball team, you set your batting order with a, a there's a logic to all of it. Normally, a first batter, leadoff batter is fast, gets on base a lot right? The idea is he gets on. Second batter usually makes contact, can move the, the, you know, the leadoff batter over uh, three, four, five. What's that? Power, right? These are the, the, the three most likely to hit the ball over the fence. And hopefully the other ones are on base, right? Six, you know, can, can kind of go either way. You kind of move your way through the lineup and there's purpose to it. There's purpose to it. And so we have been brought in and we're part of a race where we're grabbing the relay and we don't know who else is there, how many more legs there are. <laughs> we don't know. We just know we've been given the, the baton. It's our job to grab it, run with it, with endurance, continue on and do our leg of the race. You know what's interesting is if you're running a race if all you do is pay attention to all the other runners around you, you're not going to do very well because you're looking at them. You're looking at them. Another baseball analogy, right? If you're, if you're running or stealing second base, what happens a lot of times? The young kids, what do they do? They get off and they start running, and what do they do? They look at the catcher. Is the catcher going to throw? 
and they're staring at him, and what's happening? They're slowing down. Like, as opposed to looking to where they want to go, going full speed, and, and sliding, going as hard as you can for a target, with a purpose, go. So our job is not to run anyone else's race. Our job is not to run the race of the past. It's our job to take what has been done, all the great works of faith, and to join in with the generations of believers and run our part of the race. So we continue this walk of faith, this race of faith. We get to be part of the team. Since we're in a race... It's important that we lay aside or take off every weight. That's anything that impedes our race or any, that our speed or where we're going. You know, we were playing capture the flag on Friday with the youth and um, I was like running around. And so I took my keys and my phone out of my pocket because that's just gonna make all the difference in the world, right? But there's, it's not just the weight, although that's probably something, but it's clanking around it's uncomfortable. I've had keys go through the pocket before, which is terrible. That's the worst. Like, throw them away. You know, like, it's, it's over, man. Those pants, they're done. All right, I guess you could sew. You could sew them. I, you could. I can't. Uh, my wife can. Um, but the idea is you get rid of these things that are impeding you, that are holding you back. Anything, any little thing, right? The s swimmers, Cyclists, you know, like I guess that's for, I guess for when you crash, but like swimmers, it's like, get rid of all the resistance, shave everything. <laughs> Bald cap, you know, just everything as straight as you can possibly go. You, run, you wanna remove everything you can possibly remove. Every little bit matters. So there's this race that we're running and it, it becomes more and more important because this is a marathon. This is a long distance race. This isn't short. This isn't quick. This is, this is an endurance race. It's easy to run quick for a short amount of time. I mean, it's the pain, it's gone. Long distance makes a big difference. We were, uh, when we were hiking to Colorado one year, um, uh, I was, I got to be one of the like goats or, or I guess mules. And I had um, a backpack literally full with of I think a case of water. It was like, I don't even know, 40 bottles of water. And um, the hike, as I've mentioned many times, is it's like, it's like 9,000 to 13,000 feet. And then you add the water. <laughs> and I don't know what's the difference, like 30, 30 pounds or something, you put like 30 pounds in your backpack. And, you know, seems great at first. And all of a sudden you're like, does anybody want something to drink? You know, like every break, it's like, is anyone thirsty? Guys, we've got to stay hydrated. It's really important that you drink. Does everyone have a water? Oh, I brought my own. You, you did, huh? How many did you? You brought two? Okay. Think of we brought too many waters, you know? As time goes on, people are drinking them. You're drinking them. As the elevation goes up, as it seems to get steeper and steeper, you're getting less and less. By the time it's gone, you take that thing off, the backpack off, it is a different world. And so the idea is this. There are many things that can easily ensnare us from running the race we've been set to do. Now, uh, it talks about the sin, 
right? Let us lay aside every weight and the sin, but the weight isn't necessarily just the sin. Weights can be good things out of proper context. Things that are potentially a good thing, but they're not in their proper place. This is like, it, it makes a great servant, but a terrible master. If there's something that is holding you back from running the race you've been called to do, that thing that was once good is no longer good. And this becomes really challenging, especially with like kids. Because you're like, well, it's my job. I want to raise them well and whatever. The best thing you can do for your kids is show them that the Lord is first and foremost in your life. Because if it's not, if it's, if it's eh, kind of important to you, it'll be less important to them long-term. I mean, obviously the Lord can work in different ways, but like, there's something to showing you're not the center of the universe. As for me and my house, we serve the Lord. And that makes a, a big impact and a difference on a home. There's many other things, right, that could be good things, seemingly. But they're weights that are pulling us down because they're out of their proper place. They're out of alignment. This thing has become the God as opposed to something that I serve God with. I uh, remember the story of my friend who, uh, I've told it before, but he was an amazing drummer and he played on worship teams all the time and like studio caliber and the Lord told him to stop playing drums and he was like, what? And then he did, he stopped because he realized it would become a God in his life. And everyone's like, what are you doing? And the worship leaders are like, no. You know how hard it is to get a good drummer? Like, I mean, this guy's an amazing drummer. And he said, Lord told me to put it on the shelf. I'm done. And he didn't play for multiple years. He started leading worship, became the, the worship leader of the church with the guitar. And then the Lord allowed him to pick it back up again with perspective. This is a good thing that can be used to serve the Lord, but when it becomes the master, it becomes a really bad thing. So then it's removed, then it's put back in its proper place. Now it's a beautiful thing that's used to serve the Lord in unison with a life that's aligned. It's you first, Lord. All of this is subject to that. But it's also sin, right? And, And when we don't deal seriously with sin, we don't recognize how much it is impeding us. Like it's slowing us down. If you were to run a marathon and Doc Martens, you get the picture. Like that's, that's a lot of extra work. If you, ever, if, if you ever put on real running shoes, it's un, unbelievable how light they are. You're like, whoa, yeah, you're gonna need that. If you're running like ex, a lot of distance, you're gonna need that. You know, when you're 16 years old, you could run three miles in vans. But like, it becomes a little more important that you got the right shoes on and you're removing everything that could possibly weigh something extra. Don't run a marathon in a cowboy hat. There's no reason for it. Get rid of the thing. I mean, you can wear it afterwards. That's actually a pretty good look. Well, let us run the race so we're losing the extra weight even if it seems like a good thing. Taking off the things that so easily ensnare us that can trip us up or can hold us back. Because it is a marathon. The longer it is, the more those little things matter. The little rock in your shoe, you can endure for, you know, 25 steps. What about 25 miles? There's, now there's a hole inside of your foot. 
and you, you're going to have a hard time going anywhere. Let us run with endurance. The word endurance also means steadfastness. Of course, I like that. But I, I, I do like it because of the fact that that, that word is like, it's, it's, it's more than just like, oh, you know, I can run a long distance. Steadfastness means like, you know what you're doing and why you're doing it. There's like, there's something really stable about that. You know who you are, why you're going the way you're going with great direction. You're stealing that base, looking dead at second base as hard as you possibly can, knowing which side you're sliding to and how you're going to catch the corner, making it the hardest they could possibly get to tag you out. So endurance is long distance. It's not a sprint like we've mentioned. The race set before us. Everyone here, this is what's interesting and really, it's really cool. Everyone has a different race. They have a different thing they're called to do. It's all part of one thing, which is honoring God with our lives, with our giftings, with who we are, trusting him completely, speaking the good news of the gospel by both through experience and change, transformational life change, and then sharing the good news of the gospel with everyone else around us. We, it's real simple. We're all part of one, but how that is lived out is different for each person. So just like the batting order, everybody has a different place in there, but we're all on the same team. We're all about the same business. Some might be a little faster. Some might be a little slower, but stronger. We all have our place. So to run the race, the word race is agon, is to mean struggle or fight. And that gives us a little bit of a better perspective of it. Remember, what's the context? Who's, who's this book to? Believers who have gone through persecution, who are struggling, who are thinking about giving up. And what is he saying? Look back behind you. Look at the legacy behind you. They've already done it. They've already done it. Go, let's, let's keep going. You know, when we would have max days in football, we would have, you'd work all summer. You'd start the summer, you do a max day. You get as much as you can possibly get up, you know? And then you'd work out all summer. At the end of the summer, you'd have a max day again. And what would you do? Everybody's maxing the same day. It was, we would do bench, squat, and power clean. And you'd find out which club you were in, 700, 800, 900, 1,000, 1,200, 1,300, whatever. And while you're up there and you're benching, everyone around you is screaming, get it up, let's go. They're, just, they're, they're in your ear, you got this, go, let's go. You're just like, ah, you know, I don't got it. You're like, yes, you do. And the, they got it. But, and then as soon as they get up, wow. It's a lot harder to do that all alone, isn't it? Sit there all alone. You're just like, hmm. You scream at yourself, I got this. You're like, I'm forgetting to breathe. But we have this, this witness behind us, surrounding us. To go, the fight you're in, we're all in it together. We've been through it. Do not give up. Do not give up. You're going to wish you didn't. This is where you build the strength. This is, what, this is where champions are made. That's what we had up in our room. Champions are made in the weight room. This is the moment. That's where you grow. So the author's like, dude, do not go the other way. This is your moment. This is your hall of faith moment. This is your so great a cloud of witnesses moment. So you're in a struggle, you're in a fight. 
You're on your own. Or like you think you're on your own, but you're in this together. You're not on your own, I meant to say. You're not on your own. You're in this struggle, this fight. But there's so many people before us. And that we're going to see, here's the real game changer. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We look back at the fruit of faith in the lives of those in the Old Testament, and we see what was produced by that, and how God was honored and glorified, and how people was, peoples were saved and restored, and you, oh man, so good. You see God, God working and doing amazing things through his people because they trusted in him but we never take our eyes off of Jesus. So remember that the context, they're thinking about this. They're thinking about not going the way of Jesus. He has run the race. He established the path. He was the trailblazer and he has endured more than we could ever imagine. Looking unto Jesus, the author. So what the author is like the founder or the originator of our faith. He's the very beginning. He's the one that knows. You know, best case scenario, you find the person that made some. So like we went through the whole sound system this week. And so we were working hard. <laughs> There's like all these like new lines, you know, wireless helps a lot, you know. But uh, Taylor was the engineer. He was putting it all together in the soundboard. <laughs> and so if we have any questions about how it's set up, that's our guy. He's the one that did it. He's the author of it. He's the one that put it together. He's the, you know, we talked about it, but he's the one that knows the plan, right? Jesus is the author or the founder or the originator of our faith. It starts with him. He's also the finisher, which is like the perfecter. And what do we know about perfect? It's completion or maturity. So we look to Jesus because he's the one that started the whole thing. He's the one that knows, the, the, he knows faith like none of us ever could. And he's the one that's working in us to move and mature and do these things. Through the Holy Spirit, he's moving and working in our lives. We see that he can mature and take us through because what, what did he endure? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross despising the shame and sat down at the right hand, the throne of God, the joy. He rejoiced, he rejoiced in what was accomplished on that cross. He chose to endure because of the greater joy ahead of him. This is really important, especially in a marathon. There's no instant gratification in a marathon. You're in it, you know? And they, what's, what's a good time to finish a marathon? People say, if you do it under four hours, that's pretty good. I'm sorry, that's a long time. Four hours of running? For what? You know, like, God bless you marathon runners, you know, but like, that's a long time. Like, usually you're running, I like sports, like I'm running to make a basket or the bases or to catch a ball. That's it, you know. We're just gonna, we're just gonna run, and well, then what? Oh yeah, then more, running. But the idea is he endured this, all of this, which was what? The shame. It was painful. He despised the shame. 
That, like, it, he, he had to go through it all, but it was for a purpose. And, and the purpose was the joy in seeing what would be accomplished through the cross. Jesus never took his eyes off the real mission. And this is what we're all in danger of doing because we live in a world with the world system, the world's ways, the world's values, the things we think are important because it's been told to us a million times. This is important. You need this. Oh, you, you're not successful unless you have this in your life. You're, you, you, won't ever, you won't have made it unless your kids have been given this opportunity, unless you go on that vacation, unless they're given all of these opportunities to do all these different things. It's like, what are the voices we're listening to? Says who? What's Jesus' response to all that? He's like, my joy is found in something way greater. And it looks so gnarly and shameful and horrible to everyone on the outside. And it feels like that. But there's a joy set before me that will rejoice in the finished work of what will be done. I'm so excited to do this because of the restoration of or the redemption of humanity. Meaning we can now be one with God again. We can now have a relationship with him. We can now be used by him. We can be transformed. So what does that tell you about your savior? You know, when you think about like, what kind of a God do we serve? One that endured the most shameful. And there's something about shame. Pain is one thing, shame's another. Could you imagine your creation mocking you? And like doing every, I mean, what was a crucifixion? It was the most humiliating way to die. It was, you're on, who likes being exposed? No one. And you're put up on a pole for everyone to see. And then you're stripped down, oftentimes naked, just to add to the shame. Just to, just to make it extra, just gnarly and shameful. And it's like, the most degrading thing you could ever participate in. But what is it? We look to Jesus because what's his perspective? The joy set before him. He wasn't looking at this. He was looking at his, his goal was not how to live your best life now in 30 AD. He was about something much bigger. A good friend of mine, he was, he was he's, really disciplined and he always he always has something new that when I'm talking to him he's always like yeah I'm, I'm gonna end up getting um I'm getting a new bike and he says and it's gonna it's gonna take like four weeks for it to come and uh and he's like and I'm 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 really excited because I love delayed gratification and I'm like who says that you know like if I order if you spend the money on it you like now, like, please, now, like, and you're checking the shipping updates, like, will it be here today? Will it be here today? Will it be here today? And he's like, you know, this, this is one of my favorite things is delayed gratification because it tells my flesh, you're not in charge, man. <laughs> but then I do get to enjoy it in time. I'm like, okay, kind of masochist kind of a thing, I guess. But like, you know, this is, this is the idea, though. Like, if all we're about is instant gratification, which, by the way, this is a sin of our culture. We're dealing with this big time. I mean, I, I, get, my, I get frustrated with the internet sometimes. It's like, because, it's not, I'm not getting it fast enough. You're like, are you kidding me? Do you remember what it was like when the internet first, someone picks up a phone 
And now all of a sudden, there's like a, a, a major rift in the family, you know? Because <laughs> I just got on the AOL chat room, man. <laughs> and the noise is like, it's like making all the noises and you're like, oh no, and you hang it up and so, dude, I just got kicked off my Juno, you know? You guys remember this? Like, it's, it's ridiculous. But we're, we're so, now, now, that's not fast enough. Make my food. Hey, I want it fresh, I want it good, but I need it in one minute. Okay? We're, so it's, we gotta recognize that this is a, a, an issue in our culture, and so we're gonna have a hard time, just like the, he, the church of Hebrews, or the, the, the church the book is written to, the Hebrews, we're gonna have a hard time recognizing value in something that takes a long time, or that we might not even see on the side of eternity. We might not even get to see the great, like, fulfillment of all that God has done in, in our lives. But we still choose. This is the thing. We, in our moment, in our race, we have the opportunity to choose great over good. Because a lot of times, this is the way it works. Good, you could have right now. Great, it's going to take a really long time. Maybe you'll never even see the full fruit of great. And so with, with those poised, posed to us, what do we choose? We choose, I'll take the good now. But the great is the stuff that's, you know, where, where we see the gospel move forward, like Jesus. Uh, I could have gotten off that cross. Could Jesus have gotten himself off the cross? 100%. He could, I mean, when you're reading the story, even though you like know this is the best possible ending for us, you're like, just get off the cross and destroy everyone, you know? Because that's what's in us. For consider uh, him, that's Jesus, who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Consider him. Consider Jesus. This is something that, that I think is really valuable. Consider him. Look at his life. Go back and read the Gospels. Look at the life of Jesus. Look at his interactions. Look at how he deals with people, how he loves people, what he values. You know, it's, it's been said, like, if kids don't care what you say. They, they know what you believe by the way you act. That's just, that's all there is to it. They know. It's really clear. Look at, like, the life of Jesus. What, not just what he said, what he did. Consider him. Look at his life. Think about his life. Consider the cost and the response of, in light of that cost. Like what he had to endure. Think about that. And then the fact that he did it anyway. What? How, how do you get there? Consider the source and the value of joy. That he's looking at this as joy. What does that mean? means that he really loves us. And that's something we need to hear a lot because the word love is so like corroded and messed up. But like a selfless love for his people. He loved us enduring all of that. He was able to endure it because he knew the good things that were coming. He loves his people. So consider Jesus Think about the hostility uh, 
of those who he came to save, the ones that were against him. He endured the hostility from sinners. Colossians 1, 15 uh, through 17 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. Get a big picture of Jesus. That's what Paul's telling us when he's writing to the Colossians. Get a real big picture of Jesus. The firstborn over creation. The image of the invisible God. You want to know what God looks like? It's Jesus. He's before all. In him all things were created. Visible and invisible. Thrones, dominions, principalities, and powers. All things were created through him and for him. And, and he's before all things. In him all things consist. He's being mocked. He's being ridiculed. Him. Because sometimes I think it's easy to get like a picture of Jesus as this lowly hippie. This is God incarnate. You know what he could do? You get glimpses of it. But he came because he was on mission for a purpose. And so what are we being reminded of in this? Look to Jesus to continue on. Look to Jesus He'll be with you. He'll lead you through. He'll guide you through. He's the author of your faith and he's the finisher. He's going to continue to perfect and mature it. Look to Jesus. You have a race set before you and you have the resources to get you through there. It's not a race you can't run. It's a race you were designed to run. You were made to run this race. So much so that any other type of race you run is going to leave you bummed out and you're going to feel really sad and you feel like, what did I do with my life? I wasted it. Even though it might have all the earthly accolades, it might have equated to all the goods that you could possibly gather up. This is the race we were meant to run. Is it difficult? Oh yeah. All these things were against himself. Whatever we have to in Endure, it will never be as painful and degrading as what Jesus suffered while doing no wrong, by the way. We look to him, our strength, our example, our hope. We have perspective to what life is and how we're to live it to the fullest. It's that delayed gratification. I don't just need it all right now. The chocolate bar sounds good. You won't feel good later. By the way, you can eat it. You can have the chocolate. Like, think about it. 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing has happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. We run our own way, race. We remove anything that would slow us down or hold us back, looking unto Jesus as our everything so that we're not discouraged by persecution. We're strengthening our souls through his faithfulness, seeing even suffering as a way to be close to him. 
Jesus kind of talks about that a lot. Like, there's gonna, if you want to follow me, you will, there is going to be seasons of suffering. But don't worry, like, you're going to, like, look back on it like, I got to, I was with him. I was on the team. And what's interesting is when you, whenever you see someone in a place of suffering in Christ, there's some sort, something sustaining them. What is it? It's because Jesus is with them. It's the spirit of the living God is with them. He's moving through them, working through them on their behalf. We're called to remove anything that would slow us down or hold us back. We're not even discouraged by persecution, right? So we can say it like Paul. This is what Paul says at the end of his life in 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Finally, there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. That's what was he say? I kept the faith. I, kept, I, I ran the race. I did what I was called to do. Did Paul suffer persecution? Oh, man, big time. Did Paul suffer mental hardship and anxiety? Yes. Like, he went through a lot. Like, you, you can hear it in his voice. He's like, I was like, you know, I was like uh, stressed to death, basically. Like, I've gone through it. And yet, I found the Lord is with me everywhere. Everywhere I go. And so I'm not willing to, to give up at all. So that's why he's able to say, to live as Christ, to die as gain. This is, this is what we were made for. This is, this is what you're going to be known for. Whatever it is. And we live in a, in a world where suffering is not nearly as likely as it is in so many other places in the world. Where people are willing to literally die for their faith. Often. So I put a couple keys to the race, right? The race that we're, we're called to run. There's a crowd behind us. We're in this together. We're, we're continuing on with history. I've been, I've been really looking at church history lately because it just fascinates me to look at like how God has moved throughout the ages. And so many, it's just in different ways, but it's like, it's amazing to me that, that we are all on the same book. We're still, it all just keeps applying. Everything else fades. There's a crowd behind us. And we get to be part of the relay team. We get to run as hard as we possibly can for, with endurance. By laying aside everything else, we're giving everything that we can to our role in this race because you are part of the body of Christ. You're part of the bride. You are the, we are, as the church, the bride of Christ. Another key is lose the extra weight, even if it seems like a good thing. Lose the, lose the stuff that we don't need. Take your keys off. Get rid of the pocket knife, you know. <laughs> Take off your Doc Martens and put on some good running shoes. Don't wear parachute pants or, you know, a, a bulletproof vest. You don't need a helmet for this race. I mean, you do for the, you know, looking at the armor of God, but in a race setting, right? All the stuff, the extra stuff that we don't need, take it off. So take that off. Consider Jesus. Look to Jesus. 
the author and the finisher, the founder of our faith and the perfecter of our faith. The one who started it, the one who's going to complete it. But look to him. He's the one. Keep your eyes on Jesus. How do we do that? I guess we do all of these. How, how do we do that? You spend time in the word. You look at the life of Jesus. You read. You study. You get to know the heart of God. Know what he cares about, what he thinks, what matters. And you start judging off, based off of that, not off of our own, you know, seems to me, thinking, Right? So we consider Jesus, we pray, we, we allow silence and to, to allow God to speak into our lives and we're, we're quiet, we, we're around one another where the name of Christ is exalted and lifted up, where Christ is the head of the church, we as the body are taking orders. We consider Jesus the life, the death, the resurrection, the ascension, and the fact that he's coming back one day. Guys, even if we lose, we win. Even if we lose it all, we win. You can gain the whole world and lose your soul. You lost. We lost. And then lastly, keeping the proper perspective. Jesus says, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, against sinners, the ones he came to save, lest you become weary and discouraging your souls. Why does he say this? Because it's easy to become weary and discouraged in your souls. Strengthen your soul with this. Like we're called to strengthen ourselves with this renewed sense of purpose. People can do a lot when they have purpose. There's stories about that, like Holocaust survivors who found some sense of purpose and semblance of purpose that they were able to endure while people who lost all hope and all, they, were, they didn't make it. Hope is huge and purpose is huge. We are called to have both hope and purpose. So even if you're going through and you're feeling weary and you're feeling discouraged, you know, ain't nothing like what Jesus went through and he's with me. He promised never to leave me or forsake me. And so I'm gonna go, I'm gonna ride this thing out. I'm going with whatever, whatever my plot, whatever I'm supposed to do, I'm doing it to the utmost for his glory, for his kingdom. Run the race set before you. We're surrounded by so great of a cloud of witnesses. And we look back at their faith and we go, man, that's so cool. What about being known for leaving that kind of a legacy? We are called to leave our own legacy, to run our own race. Not to, not, don't go build a boat for a flood. That would be weird. I mean, just, uh, you know, try to do that. Or try and be like, I'm walking with you, God. I don't know. Maybe I'll jump off this rock and maybe I'll just kind of float up like Enoch. No. Don't try and take your son up to a mountain to kill him. You know? And say, I'm ready for you to stop the knife. He's like, I never asked you to. No. We're called in our specific context to operate in faith for the race we've been called. You know what's so cool? Jesus, real quick, I'll end right here. Jesus, for the joy set before him, endure the cross. That means he loves you very much. Has also given us purpose and a, right, a race to run, which means that he knows you very intimately. 
He loves you very much and he knows you very intimately. And lastly, he has a plan for you. He has a role for us. He has a purpose for your life. So if you feel like the whole world doesn't think you have any sort of purpose, don't expect them to tell you what your purpose is. The Lord is the one that does that. He's the one that reveals what we're supposed to be, how we're called to be, and what is our role in taking the baton of faith and running this relay race to the end. All right? Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to join us in person, head over to steadfastcarlsbad.com for more info. God bless.